0: Welcome to reInvent. For folks, uh, make sure your headsets are set to green. (laughs) This is the inside story of Philips 66, SAP S4 HANA business transformation. The uh, human brain is a funny thing. We place an inordinate amount of weight on primacy and recency, which basically is what you hear first and what you hear last. So for public speeches, this means that the audience uh, makes considerable judgments about a presentation in the first, 30 to 60 seconds, so I have about 45 more seconds to tell you why you should care about what John and I have to say before it becomes inexorably harder uh, for you to change your opinion. So, first thing is up, the project. That's why you're here. Philips 66 spent a large investment of time and money over the last two years on a project totally revamping their business processes to convert them to use SAP S4 HANA. They went live October 1st, and it's not an exaggeration to say that it was wildly successful which was a stipulation for us to even have this talk here today. They joined the ranks of thousands of uh, customers currently running their SAP workloads on AWS with hundreds of those customers being enterprise. We thought that it would be refreshing uh, to hear some stories from the trenches, some gotchas, some lessons learned, and some things that we have planned for P66 in the future. Some of those will be SAP related, some of those will be AWS related, and some of those are just things that happen on a business transformation project um, where, you know, the entire business is on the line uh, uh, for this thing to be successful. One thing I will mention is that this is a 300 level session, so uh, we're going to go through a fair amount of Uh, executive level talks at the beginning and for all my nerds in the back uh, wait to hear the end and we will absolutely have some uh, nuggets some lessons learned for you to uh, take back to your existing projects My name is Brian Griffin Uh, I'm with the SAP on AWS Global Specialty Practice which is part of our professional services organization and for the past four and a half years uh, I've had the privilege of working with our largest SAP on AWS customers and some of the largest SAP projects on the planet some of these are customers that you have heard of. They're public references for us. Great examples are Kellogg's, uh, Compass Group, Cardinal Health, Swire Beverages, and of course now Philip Sixty Six. Uh, joined with me today on stage is John Zella from Philip Sixty Six. Could you please tell us a little about yourself and uh, a little bit about the project? Sure. Thank you.
1: So my name is John Zella. I am the. I was the ERP transformation, platform, and security lead for the project. The areas that I managed were SAP basis where we installed systems and did configuration and, and apply support packs and upgrades. Uh, infrastructure, which which included all of the servers we built on AWS in support of SAP. The security team where we provision users, design security, provision roles to secure the system um, for production production use. I also led the performance testing team where we would Use Load Runner to introduce load on our systems to make sure they were ready for go live and that they could handle the load that was coming, as well as change management. We implemented Charm as a part of the project to manage transports and change throughout the project. That was one of the teams I led. (laughs) Um, Before I, uh, my career has spanned 18 years of SAP. I've basically been doing Basis the entire time. Next slide. So, where did we start? Our legacy production system is ECC 6.0 Enhancement Pack 7. Um, it was built roughly 20 years ago, and we've been upgrading it and applying support packs and, and doing projects on that for those 20 years. Uh, mainstream support for ECC uh, 6.0 ends in 2025. So we needed to come up with a game plan of how we get to S4 HANA. What's the way, how do we get there? That system was cloned from our ConocoPhillips company before when we split from ConocoPhillips to form Philips 66. We cloned that system. So it is a system that was in support of an integrated oil company and not a downstream and energy manufacturing logistics company like Philips 66. We had heavy customization both at the ABOP layer and core mods within the system as well as at the Unix layer. Lots of scripts and things that we built that were custom in support of our business processes. So what, did we, what were we going to do? We wanted to build an S4 HANA system and we needed to make some assumptions going in. First off, we're supporting a business transformation. This wasn't just an ERP transformation. We're trying to do a transformation of our company and the way we do things. We needed an ERP system that could be the foundation for that. So first, we decided to implement that system on Amazon Web Services. That would be our infrastructure layer for all of our SAP systems for this project. Second, Greenfield. We wanted to do, do away with all of the customization that we had in our legacy and start from scratch. So we, we were going to build everything from the ground up brand new. Port, don't clone or port anything over. We went in with a cloud-first mentality where you know SaaS, IS, and PaaS were the, the options we were looking at first to try to get things to reduce total cost of ownership, to, to accelerate return on investment, and try to standardize as much as we could. And finally, we made an assumption that we would implement HANA for all systems as a part of the platform, as well as SUSE Linux for all systems to keep things consistent make it easier to support so the same team could support all of the systems that we implemented. One side note, we did not go with S4HANA Cloud. We went with S4HANA on-premise. The reason for that is that the Oil module for the cloud version was not what we need. SAP recommended that we go forward with the on-premise edition. So that's what we implemented. So here's our simplified architecture. It's not very simple. But it's simpler than a lot of the other diagrams that we have. <laughs> um, I'd like to. So we have the three tiers of the cloud: pass, SaaS, and, and IaaS. Um, I owe Eric England and nickel because I, I've used this slide many times, and he's the one that built it. So uh, thank you, Eric. Um, <laughs> so we we start with the SaaS layer of this three-tier architecture. Um, Success factors is the one we've implemented. Ariba and Fieldglass are just just ideas. We haven't implemented those yet. We have implemented some tax, um, some tax SaaS solutions as well as a part of this project. In the upper left corner is the pass, and there we, we're using SAP Cloud Platform. So we're using it primarily as a development tool, but also for some cloud-based integration scenarios. The, um, and we hope to use that more going forward, but that's how much we got with the first release. And finally at the bottom, the infrastructure as a service, that's AWS. So that's where we built all of our on-premise systems, and you can see here, there's a lot of them. We built our entire ecosystem, what we had in legacy, and anything new that we needed for this new release in, in Amazon Web Services. So here's a little bit more information about the systems we implemented. First, the core S4 HANA, it's the 1709 edition because that's what was out when we started the project. That's where we, we implemented core finance and central finance. We used central finance to merge and consolidate our financial systems between legacy and project system or the new system. The hydrocarbon value chain is an, is a, is an investment we've made into our S4 HANA system that is, uh, supports our business processes end to end. We also implemented MDG. To, to manage master data across all our systems. We had a custom solution for that in legacy. We want to go to standard, so we, we implemented MDG. Hire to retire moved to success factors. That's currently live as well. And then we went Fiori first. So we want everything to go through Fiori gateway if we can, or through Fiori Launchpad if we can. And that's our, that's our going in assumption is that's our first, first check if we can do that. Commvault was was a good ad for us because we needed a way to get backups to S3 on AWS. Commvault provides a solution to help us do that. So our IT department was implementing Commvault. We took advantage of that for HANA. And finally, Solution Manager. That's a key because there's a lot of functionality in Solution Manager you can use to manage your systems. We monitor there. We do charm there or change management. We're also looking at dashboards. We have some built. We need more. But we try to use Solution Manager as a cockpit to maintain and manage our systems. So why do we go with AWS? First off, we already had a relationship with AWS. We had a, um, an effort to move applications to the cloud. AWS was one of the options that we had selected for our, our initial um, move, uh, movement to cloud. The... The, we knew that the pieces were in place for us. We had a production VPC, a non-prod VPC, the accounts that were needed to be tied to our organization. We had the pieces in place to make it work. We also had history with them with, at our leadership level, good relationships with AWS. We wanted to pick a leader, someone who had a lot of experience with SAP implementations, because this is our most critical app, and we want it to be stable. We want it to be successful, and also the security of it. We We have special requirements around encryption, uh, data encryption at rest, things like that. AWS supports all the things we need. So it met all our requirements. Here's here's just an image of how many customers AWS supports with SAP. We wanted someone who had the largest market share because we wanted other customers to help us test for our success. We want it. We want to. The learnings that AWS and other customers get, we want to benefit from that. So we picked. We picked the the market leader so that we could have success for ourselves. Right. Absolutely,
0: uh, <clears throat> and this is uh, hot off the press. Literally 25 minutes ago, we just published a blog. Um, more than 5,000. Five thousand active AWS customers run SAP on AWS, and exactly half of, or a little more than half of those customers have developed SAP HANA-based solutions on AWS. So um, it is it is funny because it's a very different conversation I'm having these days, and I was having four and a half years ago, where I was asking folks like you to please try out you know your dev system, your sandbox system, uh, your training system on AWS. Um, and why is that? Well, in that past four and a half years, we've literally increased our server sizes by 100 fold. We have 24 terabyte uh, uh, server right now with hundreds of vCPU and, and uh, yeah, 28 terabytes of main memory. And what that means is we are allowed to go through and talk to enterprises, um, allow enterprises to use uh, AWS for their, their very large SAP systems, as well as have a, a future runway that they know that um, the growth is going to be sustained. Because I think that was a big question in the marketplace is, you know, wh- what happens if our company grows? So AWS, uh, I think, has shown a fair amount of um, goodwill in that, in that area and look to obviously go and uh, increase, increase our uh, server sizes in the future. Um, what I would like is, John, if you could talk to everyone about some of the benefits that Philip 66 experienced by moving their SAP systems to AWS. Sure.
1: So here's some of the, the benefits we found from our move to AWS. First off, disaster recovery. So before our disaster recovery options were limited to our own geographical data center locations. We didn't have a lot to choose from, we just had what we, we, had, what we had access to, and we had to make it work with that. With AWS, we have more options. Now we have all the data centers that they have created around the world, lots of geographies, there's, there's multiple availability zones in each of those locations. So we have more options, more flexibility, more ways to implement disaster recovery. Another added benefit of that is that, you know, like most companies, if you own a data center, it's probably close to where your offices are located. So if you had a disaster that occurred at that location, you could impact your workforce who would be there to help you recover your systems. Now we no longer have that issue. We're, we're, we're spread across the, the North America where if something were to happen at a site, it wouldn't impact our workforce the same way. Unless it was really big. (laughs) Um, uh, Another, something in addition to that is HA. So we had some high availability functionality in our legacy, but we didn't have HA clusters like you can have with SUSE. HA in AWS, we built that across availability zones. So now you've got two completely redundant data centers with the ability to function from either one of them with that cluster built across the availability zones. So we found a dramatic increase in the effectiveness of our HA and our ability to fail over quickly. So another benefit is the, the fact that with AWS, you can spin up an instance quickly and you don't have to procure hardware to make that happen. In our legacy, if we needed to build a new R3 system or an ECC system, we may have to go and order hardware, which could take months to build that system and get it set up in our data center. With AWS, we have the flexibility to spin something up in a few minutes. We've built out the automation throughout our organization to where that server could be spun up quickly, meets all of our standards, has all the things we need, tags we need, it's ready to go. Um, The backup and recovery was also improved, where with AWS, the, the storage options are more simplified. It's easier to replicate data between geographies and availability zones. Um, and we also found a performance increase when we were backing up and restoring with, with S3 and Commvault. Commvault has been good for us. Commvault allows us to integrate with S3 natively. SAP had said that, has said that they are going to add S3 native integration as a part of the roadmap. It hasn't happened yet, at least not that I'm aware of. It mm-hmm. wasn't for the life of this project. Comvault helped to fill that gap for us. So we can integrate with S3, low-cost storage, plus it does deduplication, which means that if you're, if you're backing up similar data, you won't have to do it twice, you just do it once. So you save on those storage costs in S3. And the, the, the last benefit that's been good for us is the flexibility of the infrastructure. We used the ability to spin up a larger instance or to spin up an additional instance on the fly multiple times. During month end close, we could do it. For our central finance initial load, that was a lot of data and a lot of workload that had to occur. We built, we called it, I think, the Big Bertha server. Yeah, yeah. But we, we put, brought up an app server that was the biggest thing we could get on AWS just to, just to get that data loaded quickly. And that was, there's benefits to that when you're going through a cutover or major data migration efforts like you do with a project of this scale.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's a, that's a common theme that we're kind of hearing from uh, most of our SAP customers as well as uh, market analysts. So I think it is very easy to get distracted um, uh, to you know, read the very latest headlines or new partnerships or just general kind of arm-waving that happens at conferences. And what we like to focus on here at Amazon, um, some would say hyper-focus on, is the customer Uh, but it is nice to take a step back at a macro level and kind of see how we're benchmarking in the market. And third-party analysts like Gartner and ISG go through and they produce findings once a year. Uh, Once again, you'll find us at the uppermost right-hand corner in both of these charts um, for consecutive years. And what's great about the analysts is that they take a look at the entirety of the platform uh, and the ecosystem that that, uh, surrounds it. Um, as well as interviewing customers and talking to them about where they're at in their various stages of their uh, cloud journey. Next, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about um, how how you can get the very most out of uh, what analysts are calling the most comprehensive and feature-rich hyperscale cloud. So I'm from professional services, I've mentioned that before, it's a small consulting part uh, of our company where we really focus uh, on strategic enterprise customers and our goal is very simple. We want to take customer goals and turn them into business outcomes and we want to do that in the fastest, cheapest and most innovative way possible. And if we do that, then customers are happy and they continue using our services and then we take the revenue from those services and we pour it back into the platform. Uh, to add new features that uh, customers have asked for that are either going to make their day uh, more, their daily work more simple, um, or just in general more enjoyable, and then that delights customers, and then we around and around we go with this kind of virtuous cycle. So, our, our uh, in this first phase, um, uh, the professional services has found that our most popular offering is this SAP on AWS discovery workshop. It's a one to two week workshop that's completely complimentary, totally free. Um, it's where we come on site and give you basically an SAP on AWS 101 session. Uh, and then we start to analyze your existing environment and start mapping to what it could like, uh, could look like in AWS. Uh, often we will go and we'll collaborate with uh, the uh, solution architecture org, so our SAP partner solution architects. Um, and the end results of these sessions are usually some preliminary migration planning, uh, to kind of give you the art of the possible. Um, also, we'll give you some apples-to-apples apples pricing so you have a good idea of what you know, it would cost to, number one, migrate to AWS, and then, number two, uh, what your you know, one-year, two-year, three-year roadmap will look like uh, from an infrastructure perspective. <laughs> and the next phase is the launch phase. Um, we're often asked for help on migrating systems? Or how are we gonna set up systems for uh, high availability availability and disaster recovery? And that's what professional services uh, is. We are are the how part of the organization. Um, So there are various third party and SAP native products to go through and do that. Um, Our team is intimately familiar with uh, how to set up uh, HA and DR with uh, a bevy of those products. Also, um, we will help customers in recommending and implementing the various solutions uh, for different databases and operating systems. And then the scale phase is usually where we're asked by customers uh, to make sure that their systems are ready for go live. Uh, We have a go live assessment check, um, which is quite popular and it allows stakeholders to understand where there are areas for opportunity um, or potential red flags that they need to go and address before they decide to actually go live. And I'd say in the last four and a half years, I've yet to come across uh, uh, an engagement where this report didn't go and highlight some, some major findings, um, so some significant room for improvement, no matter the SI, GSI, or the customer implementing it. Now, the good news is almost all of these items can be addressed fairly quickly because of the flexibility of the platform, um, but for the ones that can't, companies are still quite happy that they decided to go down this route because they're able to you know, use this as a fail-safe, a, a canary in the coal mine, if you will, and um, we will then go on and uh, map out a, a remediation plan and you know a get-to-green plan. And last but not least is the SAP on AWS resident architect um, or multiple resident architects. This is what Philip sixty-six did. Um, it allowed us to encompass all of the offerings that we just talked about, um, as well as go and work on specialized operational automation projects. So. Uh, this particular role is not only very technical, but can also be quite strategic. Um, it's very normal for us to be asked to be part of executive steering committees of an existing customer or at a minimum uh, have, a, have a regular cadence with, uh, with leadership for consultant, the consulting leadership on site or the client itself. So let's talk a little bit about some of the automation that we did at Philips 66. Uh, If you're not aware, we have something called the SAP HANA Quick Start, which is an easy way to deploy infrastructure as code on AWS. Uh, There are about 36 fields to fill out, and in these fields, you can put items like your system password, your S3 bucket, where the software is stored, the system name that you want, virtual IP address, system number, host name, all that good stuff, all right? Um, Basically, all the customizations of what you want your system to look like in AWS, And once you fill out those fields and submit it to CloudFormation, uh, behind the scenes, a JSON or YAML file is created and it's submitted to the CloudFormation service, and the build process begins. Uh, We customized this for Philips 66 uh, to be integrated with ServiceNow, which is their ITSM uh, component. And uh, it allows it so the building of infrastructure is truly a self-service feature. The project team members can enter values into the ServiceNow via drop-down, so you have allowable values, so you, so you can't just request anything. Uh, they're pre-approved values. They'll put in they'll put into ServiceNow, and ServiceNow will then deliver a payload to CloudFormation, and uh, uh, the build process starts. All that means that all SAP build processes then are managed as infrastructure's code, which then. Uh, makes it so any required changes in the future to the operating system or the database uh, is all handled through the exact same CI/CD pipeline. Less than 20 minutes later, we have the architecture that you see on this screen—a fully productive, uh, pr- fully production-ready uh, HANA HA architecture. And this deployment separates the HANA primary database and the HANA standby database into different availability zones, uh, which guarantees that they're in separate data centers. And as John mentioned, these are completely redundant, uh, shared nothing architecture approach. Um, Each AZ has their own separate power, heating, cooling. They're on separate floodplains. They have separate network uh, connections. And so uh, exceptionally redundant, but they're close enough together that uh, you can run synchronous workloads across the sites, which effectively means a zero RPO. So let's dive a little deeper on how a multi-AZ workload helps and uh, how Philips 66 utilized SUSE's HAE, uh, High Availability Extensions, uh, to help us get there. So first off, Philips uh, 66 made a decision to make all of their critical production and pre-production systems highly available. And this is a, in general, a best practice. It's something I see customers uh, kind of decide to cheap out on, and it's a, it, it's a grave mistake because when you want to start testing your clusters, or if you need to upgrade your, uh, your, your clusters, you don't want to be doing that in production. You want to have it uh, a, a, a very similar sized system, uh, which, which uh, P66 did in their non-prod, or, sorry, in their pre-prod system. And for folks who are intimately familiar with SAP, you know that there are many single points of failure, so. Database, shared file systems, web dispatcher, ASCS, uh, SES, uh, OS, hardware, all those individual components, and we use the uh, high-availability AWS architectures and SUSE HAE to go and protect against those single points of failure. Out of the box, the EC2 service has a SLA of 99.99%, um, and you your—sorry, uh, when you design your applications to run in the way that we have on screen here. In general, what does HA, or high availability, mean? Well, to me, that means typically not losing any database transactions uh, in the case of a, a single component failure, um, as well as the ability to automatically bring those services back online without any human intervention. So we're looking at zero RPO and an RTO of you know, minutes, uh, a, a few minutes. Um, and then what happens is that SUSE HAE provides the detection and also orchestration of the failover from one availability zone to the other availability zone. What's also cool is you use that exact same concept that you're using for the database to, to, to do the replication for uh, the, the lock mechanism, the NQ mechanism for SAP. So uh, the same way the database fails over from place to place, SUSE HAE has the same concept, different scripts, but same concept to go and fail back and forth very easily. All right, okay, let's talk a little bit about lessons learned. Now, I'm not gonna go through and talk to you about the setup of how to set up HAE uh, for two reasons. Number one, there's a comprehensive guide that'll walk you step-by-step on how to do it. And number two, the HANA Quick Start out of the box will set up your database in a cluster format just like this. Um, And what I have up on the screen here is that uh, uh, some cluster values that we worked with SUSE to go and implement um, that is a little different than their guide. Uh, Something that we found out on this project. So uh, what you need to know is the cluster is constantly checking to see if it's healthy or not. And it does this by sending tokens between the nodes. And the token value is the time it will take to receive a token um, once it's it's been sent. So I think right there you see uh, the default value was 5,000, which is five seconds and the token retransmits were six, and this means that the cluster would send uh, six tokens over the span of that five seconds, and if any of those tokens are received, that means the cluster is considered healthy. Well, the downside with this is that if there are any hiccups within a customer's AWS, uh, sorry, within a customer's uh, AWS environment, like uh, a DNS issue or small packet delays or packet drops from availability zones, Uh, SAP itself is not affected, but the cluster is uh, uh, absolutely impacted by these. So what we've done is we've increased the token timeout to 30,000, which is 30 seconds. Uh, We increased the the transmits to 10. So what we're doing is we're sending a token every three seconds. And if any one of those tokens get back uh, between the cluster, then... uh, the cluster marks itself as totally clean and it doesn't cause a, a false positive, which effectively would make the, the node fail from one place to another. So um, certainly something that we found out in this project and it is something that we've worked with SUSE. It is now in the very latest guide uh, to, to have these values as default. The next part that we learned is that you always wanna make sure you update the very latest SUSE cluster packages. Uh, we kind of found some edge cases on this project just because of the size and the scale that was running. Um, and we communicated with SUSE and we need to have these particular bugs squashed. They're able to go and do that very quickly. I think we updated our SUSE packages two or three times in the project. Uh, so you always wanna make sure those are updated because they're taking care of some known bugs. And if you ever wanna just update the SUSE uh, HAE packages, you wanna run that command right there, it'll just touch Uh, H-A-E, it won't touch the other SUSE packages. Uh, Only caveat there is you want to make sure your cluster is in maintenance mode. Uh, You don't want the cluster up and running when you do this, or that could cause a a false positive. Let's talk a little bit more about H-A. So uh, this timeout that you see here, the value was originally 150 seconds. You want to set that to 900 seconds, uh, and this is to prevent the likelihood of an incorrect stoneth status. What is stoneth? Stoneth is shoot the other node in the head. That is the name of the killing agent from Sousa. And that is actually really important because in order to have an active uh, uh, cluster that is working and, uh, and supported by Sousa, you need to make sure Stoneth is up and running because that is what prevents a split-brain scenario. Split-brain scenario, even if you're not technical, that is something you, you do not want. That is a business killer. That's where you have Uh, data that has managed to work its way into one node and also into another node, so you've effectively corrupted both sides of your database. You absolutely want Stoneth up and running to prevent that. Um, Some other lessons learned is we want to make sure to use the same tag key for our clusters. This is totally acceptable and provides uh, a very easy way for you to search your AWS account for nodes that are running HA, and it also helps to go and create some standardization. We also like to keep our cluster configuration load files um, in a very easily and accessible place like the local operating system, but then we back that up to S3. And the reason why we do that is because sometimes the cluster will get into a state where it, it's kind of wonky and it usually happens because there's been some sort of uh, human interaction to the cluster, maybe maybe someone uh, didn't fail it over properly. And, Honestly, it's way easier just to go through and clear the cluster configuration out and load these files from scratch. It takes about 10 seconds to load these files and it'll make your cluster go back to the green status. Um, And what we always say is that success in a crisis comes from success in the process. What we mean by that is you have to test these clusters. Test them with all the given scenarios that are in the guide. I think there's like seven or eight scenarios that are in the guide and setting up the cluster is one skill set. but Understanding how the cluster fails over in responses to different types of uh, failure scenarios is is really, really important. And obviously, also really important is how to get the cluster back the way you want it after it has failed over. And the only way you're going to do that is practice and documentation.
1: So a few more lessons learned around system builds. First, follow the AWS recommendations. There's best practices that are documented on, I think it's AWS website. Mm-hmm. But there, you want to make sure you're using the right storage for the right file systems. There's a lot of recommendations. Use them. They're, they're helpful, and they really will, will get you there faster if you than having to go back and remediate things. Related to that, run the hardware configuration check tool that comes with HANA. It will basically scan the server for you and tell you everything that's not right and it will help you find those performance tweaks and tunes that you can do. Um, Run it early, find out what your laundry list of improvements is and and start making those changes. Also look for EBS volumes that are over one terabyte. If you have an EBS volume that's that large, you may need to stripe it to to optimize your performance. I've talked about this previously, but Commvault Currently, HANA does not have native integration with S3. That's a gap. It's nice to have the S3 storage there for your backups and and, uh, for backup and restore. Uh, Look at tools like Commvault to help fill that gap. And finally, high availability. So in the the cloud, we have things like EC2 auto recoveries and uh, instance retirements where you'll get a notification that instance is going to go away in a couple of weeks and you need to do something about it. If you don't have high availability, there's not much you can do other than taking an outage of your system. High availability has protected us on numerous occasions where we've had a failover due to those types of stimuli, and we've we've been able to remain productive, remain keeping our business running in our system because we implemented HA. It's it's more complicated, it is more complex, it's more difficult to support, but in the long run, I think that it's, it's it's a good practice to implement that, especially in a cloud scenario. A little more on the lessons learned. So there's a HANA configuration called clock source, and when it, by default it's Zen, which mm-hmm. is X E N. The uh, recommendation is to use T S C instead. That gives you a 10% performance gain, and AWS has run tests to validate that claim. Uh, tag your instances cleanly and correctly, and keep them that way. The HA clusters need some of those tag values. When you're reporting your finance, financials off these systems, all those things require the tags. If you don't keep them consistent, you've got a big cleanup effort later down the road. Some things that we've looked at are monitoring our tags to actually get an alert if something changes from what, should be, what it should be set at. In our automation, where we build servers, we, we include the tag generation as a part of all that automation so that it's consistent and update your SSM agents. So if you're using automation, your automation will fail if your SS... it may fail if your SSM agent is not up-to-date. So proactively stay ahead of that and keep those up-to-date so that way you don't get into an outage where you need to run an automation for something like patching HANA as an sure. example that we have, where you can't run your automation now and you're, you're stuck either doing the, the task manually or patching your SSM agent on the fly. I'll let you hit the Yeah, GP2 yeah, now. and the
0: last one, this little tidbit is for all my long-term customers, out long-term uh, SAP customers out there, all the OGs. Uh, you may or may not be aware that the GP2 default uh, throughput changed from 128 megabytes a second to 250 megabytes a second right around this time last year. Uh, 100% free, but that was for all new GP2 volumes um, that were that were being launched. So for folks who like philip 66 who had launched a pretty significant environment, uh, we needed to go and, and take advantage of that new speed increase we thought a particularly elegant way to solve that problem uh, was to modify the volume slightly so what we did is we modified the volume from standard uh, Gp2 to io1 uh, we did that and kept it that way for about six hours and then we swapped it back uh, to Gp2 and that can that uh, satisfy the requirement of the modification. We were put on the new GP2 fleet. Um, we doubled our throughput and uh, didn't need to take an outage for this. This is something, if you're not familiar on AWS, you can change your storage type on the fly. Um, you can also do this for, uh, if you wanted to change to IO1 for you know certain business-critical uh, uh, optimization scenario, you could go and do that as well. But uh, make sure you're using the very latest GP2. If you're running an old SAP system, go ahead and do this. It's going to cost you, you know, under, under uh, a few hundred dollars and it's going to double your throughput and really make your HANA systems happy Yep, the last piece um, pricing something we learned on on uh, this this customer um, We absolutely recommend that you use uh, EC2 uh, RIs uh, reserved instances um, To go through and save significant costs on uh, on your your infrastructure um, but if you're currently at 100% utilization of those RIs, it's kind of counterintuitive, but you're doing it wrong. You need to make sure that it's probably between 80 and 90% just because of the uh, amount of discount that EC2, uh, sorry, that, uh, that the RIs offer you. So um, there's reports that you can run. You can see how, how, what percentage utilized you are for your RIs. So make sure to take a look at that, and if it's at 100%, yes, you are using what you said you were going to. But that means there's probably a lot more on the table that you can go and optimize for cost. Um, and then I'd be remiss not to talk about our brand new launched. Uh, uh, they're called EC2 Savings, or they're called Savings Plans. Um, they're different plans that you can use, and it makes it infinitely easier to apply discounts to um, your compute spend. So. In the future, I don't know if they're going to replace uh, RIs, but they absolutely have a a place in your uh, cost management mix going forward whenever you're uh, running your SAP architecture. So take a look at the EC2 savings plans. Okay, who here has used on-demand capacity reservations for a plan? I got ahead of myself. Who here has used on-demand capacity reservations? One, two, and and I think that's pretty normal. Most people haven't used them yet because they're not familiar with, I guess, how they're valuable in relation to all the other uh, EC2 options that you have. What we found for SAP, there's at least two scenarios where this has been a huge lifesaver. And one of those things is for planned maintenance windows. So if you know you're going to take an outage, so for example, P66, we were constantly increasing the server size whenever we needed to have uh, the CFIN initial load. I think the first time we ran it, uh, the the, the CFIN initial load took over 12 hours. We could either go and try to refactor the code, or we could just make the servers bigger. So we made the servers bigger, because it was so easy. We made them 12 times larger than they normally were. And the downside of that is when you're going from a a server that there might be a a huge capacity of servers, R52XLs, for example, and you start going to a server type that is a little more rare, the R524XLs, the ones that are absolutely massive, if you're changing a a large number of those servers all at once and you need them in one very specific availability zone, there is a situation that you could run into called ICE. Has anyone had an ICE error from time to time, right? We we usually don't talk a lot about it, but it's important for SAP customers to know about it. ICE stands for insufficient capacity error, meaning at that point in time, uh, the server type that you're requesting is not available, and usually they'll like, oh, wait an hour, or wait you know, 10 minutes or whatever, and it'll likely be available. It doesn't happen very much on the platform, but for an SAP system, it's absolutely critical that you get the server type that you want. So when you use an on-demand capacity reservation, what you're doing is you're sending a signal to AWS that I want this particular server type at this particular time, and that way, when we're in the middle of an outage window, the, the point in time we start the outage window, we can guarantee that that server is available in the account to be utilized. So that was a big uh, big win. The other, other scenario, that I, was, uh, I, I said there's two, the other scenario is something very similar. If you know that you have something like a, a month-end or year-end close, you know you're going to be spooling up a significant amount of new capacity, you use this on-demand capacity reservation, again, to send a signal into AWS that you would like this amount of infrastructure of this particular type uh, to be available, and they'll make sure that that happens. Another thing that we found out uh, when you're doing things at scale, it's a lot harder, uh, which is not that, that big of a finding, but one thing I think people get used to is clicking around in the uh, console to change an instance type. It's only four clicks to change an instance type from one from one server to another server, okay? But when you're doing that and you have hundreds or thousands of EC2 instances listed in the console, and let's say you need to change 20 or 30 of those at the same time, that's a lot of button clicks and it makes uh, room for um, human, human uh, error. So use automation documents. Automation documents are already provided, they're in the systems manager. And it, one of those automation documents is to change a server type from one, one spot to another. You can save those off. So if you know you're constantly going from R52XL to R524XL, you can save those and When you use that automation, not only is it doing it faster than anyone can button click, but it's also automating the process so there's not mistakes being made. Because I absolutely have changed an instance to the wrong instance size, and then I had to stop it again and then change it back to the instance size I wanted. Uh, It's a lot easier just to use the automation that we have in place. And then last but not least, a big shout out to our uh, TAMs, our technical account managers. We have uh, a stud on our team named uh, Don Quindardo, so thank you, Don. Uh, you want to use your enterprise uh, support. Uh, I think just to run SAP productively, you need to have uh, either business support or enterprise support. Enterprise support is that warm blanket at night. They are there to answer all levels of technical questions and we absolutely used uh, enterprise support so whenever we'd have planned uh, maintenance windows or things like that, our TAM would hop on the call with us just just to be there and make sure that everything was running smoothly. Um, there's also this thing called IEM, Infrastructure Event Management. If you have a planned go-live or an event that's really important to your business, those TAMs will go through, and they'll th- uh, that, along with the SA and the account, will talk to you and uh, basically run you through uh, AWS Well-Architected. So you have your tactical planning, but this is more of a strategic planning uh, that they do, and they make you answer a lot of high-level questions, which really gets you thinking about... Uh, uh, from thinking about the, the future release from all angles. John, can you talk a little bit about what's next for P sixty six? Sure.
1: I went backwards. There oh, we go. Um, so, first we we need to look at our, our automation and for opportunities to use that <clears throat> as we operationalize our system we'll find more manual tasks, repetitive tasks, things we do every day that we don't need to do. We can can automate. We found a lot of value in the automation that we've built, and I know there's more that we can do. So we'll continue to look into those opportunities and seek them out. Next, we we completed our first release. We have some more releases coming for asset management and, and additional functionality for hydrocarbon value chain. This will just further build out the functionality within our new S4 HANA landscape. And then finally, you know, this, this system is, found a, is a foundational component for a business transformation, and uh, it's a platform for innovation. We'll continue to innovate and build out and see what else we can get with it.
0: Awesome. So for folks who are uh, interested, uh, we have 14 other SAP on AWS sessions. Uh, they're all here um, uh, throughout reInvent. This is the most amount of SAP sessions we've ever had. Uh, so, by all means, there, uh, please attend some of those. There's going to be some announcements that are made there. Uh, so, uh, I can't spoil what they're going to be, but absolutely be in attendance for those announcements. I think the next item is that if you are um, interested in continuing to hear more about SAP on AWS, the signal that you can send to reInvent is to please complete the session uh, survey in the mobile app. Uh, what that does is that lets folks know that, yes, there is absolutely uh, uh, an interest in this and feel free to do the rating as well um, because that will allow folks to continue to speak on this.